0: Hello, this is Eric in Plymouth, Michigan, and I'm about to make my first contribution to my local NPR radio station. Where I live, that's WDET in Detroit. This podcast was recorded at...
1: 2.05 p.m. on Thursday, March 24th.
0: Things may have changed by the time you hear it. All right, here's the show.
1: Oh, that's music to our ears. We love it when you support your local stations.
0: And from WDET, where I started my career.
2: All right. Ah, oh, that's <laughs> special, <laughs> special shout out to Don today.
0: Go Tigers.
2: Hey there, it's the NPR
1: Politics Podcast. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress.
2: I'm Deirdre Walsh. I also cover
1: Congress.
0: And I'm Don Gagné, national political correspondent.
1: The midterm primary races are intensifying, and in Republican primaries, one of the big questions we're looking for answers to is this. How much influence does former President Trump still have over candidates and voters? Don, you were just in Ohio. Um, I don't even know how many trips to Ohio this makes for you now. I imagine you're probably in the four digits at this <laughs> <Yes>. point.
0: <laughs> it, it's only two in the last month. so
1: <laughs> Just wait. So you were there reporting on the Republican Senate primary. Uh, Trump has been a big focus for the candidates in this race. So talk us through who the top candidates are.
0: There are really five top candidates. There's investment banker Mike Gibbons. He leads in the polls. Uh, Then there's former state treasurer and Marine veteran Josh Mandel. Uh, J.D. Vance is in the race. He's the author of the best-selling memoir, Hillbilly Elegy. Also, former state Republican Party chair Jane Timken and state senator Matt Dolan. He's part of the family that owns the Cleveland Guardians, used to be the Indians baseball team. So those are the main candidates anyway. So
2: Trump hasn't endorsed in the Republican primary in Ohio. How are the candidates trying to get his attention and get his support?
0: Well, it's not just a big field. Uh, even though we have Mike Gibbons in the lead, Polls say that roughly 40% of Republicans are still undecided. So in a multiple candidate race, things could still be very fluid. And I should say that with the exception of Matt Dolan, each of these candidates spends a lot of time showing off their pro-Trump credentials. And I mean, Trump comes up all the time in their campaign ads.
2: There are pretenders in the Senate race. Jane Timken but is the real Trump conservative. Trump and
0: Trump Trump Gibbons are Trump. businessmen with a backbone. Trump saved our economy before. Gibbons knows how to He's do pretty. it again.
1: Josh Mandel. Pro-God,
0: pro-gun, pro-Trump. So you get the idea there.
1: Yeah, not subtle. Don, you were there. You went to one of the candidate debates earlier this week. Uh, one thing that has struck me about this race is it just seems so nasty. I mean, not that primaries are ever sort of nice contests, but this one in particular seems
0: like it's gotten really personal and really mean. And and people will tell you that they do kind of see that as part of Trump's influence on this yeah. race as well. People are, are are standing their ground and going at each other. So, so there have been two debates in the past week, and there's another one next week. But at the first event, a new poll had just come out showing Mike Gibbons in the lead. Uh, So the candidate who used to be in the lead, Josh Mandel, uh, went after the front runner and went after him every chance he got. And at one point, Mandel accused Gibbons. Again, Gibbons, the millionaire investment banker, right? Uh, Mandel accused him of selling out Ohio jobs to china and gibbons pushed back hard next thing you know these two guys are chest to chest making mm-hmm. contact nose to nose screaming at each other for about a minute Chinese petro. buying a second right, you let's may let's, not understand this because you've I never understand been it in the pri- no you don't i do you've never been in the I private sector it. in your all right i've worked so josh, no josh, squat josh. Yeah. about josh. two tours josh. in iraq you don't, oh, tell, gosh, me gosh, so boy, don't tell me i haven't worked don't tell me i haven't worked you don't know squat and I will tell you, being in the room, it was tense, and it was also really awkward, and I have not seen anything quite like it, and I've been covering these things for a while. Mm. And uh, the the audience didn't quite know how to react, and uh, eventually the moderator, uh, an AM talk radio uh, host, had to kind of get in there and break it up.
1: And at another debate, There was another question that I thought was interesting to ask of Republican candidates. Do you think that for the betterment of the Republican Party, it's time for Donald Trump to stop talking about the 2020 election and move on?
0: So that's a That's a fraught moment, right, for a a, a Republican. (laughs) Uh, uh, Anyway, one candidate. Matt Dolan raised his hand, and he further said, uh, look, there was there was no fraud in the 2020 election. Uh, we did audits here in Ohio. We were on good elections. Uh, he was, of course, kind of the anti-Trump on the stage, even though he is uh, a conservative and talks about his conservative credentials all the time. But I will tell you, the other four just stood there, kept their hands down. They were not going to volunteer that it was time to move beyond Donald Trump, and I will I'll also tell you that Matt Dolan is polling, you know, near the bottom in in single digits. That's very telling.
1: Deirdre, you know, we talk to a lot of Republican lawmakers on the Hill all the time about this. I know you've been reporting on the January 6th committee investigation. You've also talked to and looked at Republicans in the Senate who might want to run for presidents themselves. What do you hear from republican lawmakers about this same question i mean is this something that the people that are already in congress want to move away from or like in ohio are most of them still willing to say that this is a fight worth having
2: it's a pretty tricky line i mean they don't they know how popular president trump is with the republican base and they want to to make sure that they hold on to that support in the upcoming midterms uh But they don't really want to relitigate the 2020 election. I mean, they want to talk about the midterms in the frame of uh, being a referendum on President Biden's record. Basically, like, they want to litigate 2021, not 2020. But they're very mindful about how powerful Trump's voice is and how much sway he has with the base. So they instead sort of pivot to other issues that are identified with Trump that are still very popular. There's a lot of talk... Uh, about border security, about increasing crime rates. So I think they want to focus on the issues that can link them to Trump and to link them to Trump's policies, but they want to stay away from the January 6th topic, most of them at least do.
1: All right, let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll hear more about what's happening in Ohio. And we're back. And Don, we've been talking about the candidates in the Ohio Republican Senate primary. But as you do, you also talk to a lot of Ohio voters. And I'm curious what they are telling you about this race and and how closely they're following the primary race.
0: It feels like they're just now really starting to lock in. The primary is May 3rd, so that's uh, less than six weeks away, though it could be delayed because of legal battles over redistricting. That's playing out in Ohio, as it is in a lot of places. But I will tell you, Trump is very popular among Republicans in Ohio. And it is a bit of a task for them to try to sort out just who's who with so many candidates all claiming the mantle of Trump. I talked to an undecided voter after that first debate. Her name is Kathy Deal. Uh, she, she works at her local church. She's undecided. She's Republican, but she, she does not know which of these candidates she likes. And she really wishes Trump would help her out by endorsing somebody. Trump had not given an endorsement. No, yet.
1: he's not. That would that would definitely seal it for sure. If he were in to yes, endorse, it would seal it for um, you. Now, I like Deirdre. That's really interesting to me because it's not really surprising that Trump's popular with the average Republican voter. I don't think any of us are surprised by that. But it does seem worth noting that Trump endorsed candidates in other races
2: aren't necessarily a lock. <laughs> they aren't. I mean, this week uh, in Alabama mo brooks who's the republican congressman from the state who's running for the senate seat there had his trump endorsement rescinded by uh, former president trump he has been not doing so well in the polls in that republican primary and trump put out a statement basically pulling back his endorsement of brooks um Hmm. you know in other states like pennsylvania the former president hasn't endorsed in a, another crau- crowded Republican primary, sort of like in Ohio. And candidates in that state are also trying to appeal to Trump to get his nod. But, you know, there's some of those candidates potentially have some baggage and and different elements of the party are pushing for them. And he, I, I think he's reluctant to weigh in because his initial candidate, who he endorsed in that race, uh, actually had to drop out for, you know, personal Uh, reasons. So, you know, he's very focused on winning. So I think uh, Trump may be less and less inclined to, to pull out the endorsements until he has a better read on sort of where the primary vote is heading.
1: Right. He does not want to pick the losers in these races. He wants to be on the winning side, especially for his own sort of Trump brand seal. Definitely. Also, when it comes to messaging in this election, I think we're seeing more and more from Republicans the kind of themes that they're going to want to focus on throughout this year into November. We saw it somewhat this week in the Supreme Court confirmation hearings for Biden nominee Ketanji Brown-Jackson. It was a platform for several Republicans, some of them who may have presidential ambitions of their own, to sort of test out some of these messages. Deirdre, you've been sort of reporting on this what were some of those messaging themes you saw in the hearing, and and sort of why are they focusing on those?
2: Well, as we've seen in the past, the Senate Judiciary Committee's uh, confirmation hearings for Supreme Court nominees are sort of a national event. Uh, a lot of people tune in from both the Republican base and the Democratic base, and and they become sort of a place for would-be presidential candidates to gain a lot of attention, uh, have a moment in the national spotlight. And, you know, there were three Democrats on the committee who ran for president in 2020, and there are at least five Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee now who might run for president in 2024. And many of them definitely took their time in the spotlight to focus on issues they think— could give them some traction. And we heard a lot about cultural issues. We heard a lot about things like critical race theory, a uh, legal academic theory that a lot of people in the Republican base are very animated about. We heard a lot about rising crime rates, um, the threat of, you know, safety, the threat of child predators, um, which sort of sprang uh, from some, you know, conspiracy theories uh, from a right wing uh movement known as QAnon, but has have had some traction with some element of the Republican base and several Republican senators, even though some of those issues really don't play a role in terms of you know whether they become before the Supreme Court, uh, they decided to use their time to speechify uh, and try to press Judge Jackson about her views on this issue, even though they weren't really expecting answers from her. They were very deliberately using their time to create moments that could be replayed, you know, in on social media posts or on Fox News or other outlets to sort of show their conservative credentials.
1: One of the things I think is interesting about this right now is that. You know, it's kind of conventional wisdom that in primaries, candidates can be pushed too far to the right or too far to the left if they're not careful and make them less palatable in a general election. But this time around, it seems like Republican candidates from the top to the bottom, from leadership on down, aren't as afraid of these cultural issues. They don't seem to fear that they could be more alienating in November in a bigger, broader general election. Uh, I'm, I'm not entirely sure where that is, but I would say that I just don't get the sense that other folks in the party are like, oh, we got to pull back on this.
2: If anything, they seem to be going all in. I talked to one of the Republicans who got a lot of attention during this week's hearings, Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley, uh, you know, about the pushback he was getting from the White House and from others on the on the committee about his line of questioning focused on child pornography. Uh, and he essentially said, you know, bring it on.
0: So if they want to dismiss parents' concerns about their children's safety, and they want to dismiss concerns about crime as a conspiracy theory, take that argument to the polls. They really do want to turn out the base, not just in the primary, but again in November. And in Ohio, uh, this is not the case in a place like Pennsylvania, but in Ohio, they've got a cushion. Uh, Donald Trump carried the state easily twice. So... You watch these candidates, and it's clear they see very little risk that they're pushing it too far to the right in these primary debates.
1: All right, let's leave it there for today. We'll be back in your feeds tomorrow with the Weekly Roundup. I'm Susan Davis. I cover Congress. I'm Deirdre Walsh. I also cover Congress.
0: And I'm Don Gagné, national political correspondent.
1: And thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.